I don't know if you folks here at the Statesboro Church realize this or not. I'm sure that Brother Randy is very comfortable standing in this pulpit preaching every Sunday. But when a preacher comes from somewhere else to the Statesboro Church and stands at this pulpit, we get a little nervous. It's an intimidating place among loving people. So it's going to be all right. It's like coming home. I lived here for 30, 35 years, so it's not like I don't know many, many, many of you. I've got Rama people here today. I've got family here today. I've got friends that we go way back, like Brother Deal back there. He came and spoke to me earlier. I love that man. He's all right. But it's good to be in the house of the Lord, and it's good to be able to uh, handle the Word of God in your midst today. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. I'm going to read three, passage, three verses of Scripture from James chapter 5. And then I'm going to take you somewhere else and talk a little bit about something else. But I'm going to come back to James chapter 5. You'll never hear me tell you what the text is and not deal with it. I'm going to come back and deal very, very uh, extensively with it. Once again, I, I thank this church for the kind invitation to come and to be with you today. In James chapter 5, I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 18. And I'm going to go back and look at a couple of verses before that just for context, and then um, we'll be able to see this a little more clearly. James says in James chapter 5, beginning of verse 16, to his readers, which are you and me today, the, the Hebrews who were scattered about, the believing Hebrews, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1. But he says to them, confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. I will not engage in any further audible prayer, but I pray that you will be in prayer for me this morning. Um, as Paul opened his letter to Timothy, James wrote this epistle, but I want you to just think, if you will, about Paul's opening words to the young preacher Timothy in 1 Timothy. And there he told Timothy from the very beginning, from the very first words that he wrote to Timothy, he told Timothy how thankful he was that God had found him faithful and had put him into the ministry of Jesus Christ. You find that expression of thanksgiving. He says, I'm so thankful that God felt me worthy to be made a preacher, a pastor, a mentor, an evangelist, a missionary, a church planter, an author. And when you think about the, the ministry of the Apostle Paul, it was a vast ministry. Truth of the matter is, all of our ministry should be vast. 
I can guarantee you, if you have a ministry in this church or you have a ministry outside of this church, you can add to that ministry. You can do more than you're doing. Think about that. But immediately after expressing to Timothy how thankful he was that God was using him in so many ways, he immediately after that, he, he, he dug up his sinful past to Timothy. He wanted Timothy to know what he was before the Damascus Road experience so that Timothy would better understand how thankful Paul was that that God had converted him, that he had met Jesus on the road to Damascus and God was using him in so many ways. He says, you got to understand where I came from to understand how thankful I am that God is using me in such a powerful way. Paul told Timothy that he was a blasphemer He said, I was a persecutor of Christians. I did great harm to the church of Jesus Christ and to the cause of Christ. And he was very adamant about what he had done wrong in telling Timothy about that. He told Timothy that although he was a a learned man of the law and a Pharisee among Pharisees, he says, at the same time, I was ignorant of the truth of God's word. And an unbeliever that the Christ that I was persecuting is the Son of God. He just bore his, his, his heart and his soul out to Timothy. Paul was a dangerous man. He was religious, but he was dangerous. And he wanted Timothy to know that. Then in one short yet powerful verse, Paul wrote this to Timothy. After he had done that, he said this, He said, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in or because of Jesus Christ. A powerful statement that the love of God and the grace of God had changed his life. Then he he drives home his point to Timothy in verse 15 of that first chapter. And he, he lays out two undeniable truths that Timothy, he wanted Timothy to understand that Paul understood it. And and, and what he says was, Christ came into this world to save sinners. If you're a sinner here today, you need Christ. If you're not, you can get up and go home now, because what I got to say is not going to apply to you. Nobody's leaving. Who knew? Secondly, he says, Timothy, when it comes to sin and sinners, he says to Timothy, I am chief. I'm at the top of the heap. He didn't say to Timothy, you know, Timothy, now I'm converted and I'm a righteous man. He didn't say that. He says, uh, with regard to sin and sinners, Timothy, I am chief. And, and, And it's I am chief, not I was. He says, I am. The very attitude that each and every one of us should have about our need for Christ. Sometimes I think we Christians should take a lesson from the Apostle Paul when it comes to understanding our propensity to sin. Goodness gracious, there's a lot of preachers out there that won't even talk about sin anymore. I'm going to talk about it today. 
at Rama, we were are finishing up a study from the book of James, and this past Wednesday I dealt with verses 16 through 18 that I just read to you. I told the class after I finished, I said, I, I enjoyed teaching that so much, I should have reserved those verses for, for a preaching event. I should have just preached that. That would have been fun. They said, well, go ahead. I said, well, you've, you've already heard me. They said, go ahead. So I said, well, I'm going to Statesboro next week. I'll just throw it on them. In verses 13 through 15, previous to what I read to you from James chapter 5, James addresses what I would call Christian's suffering. And he talks about affliction. If you go back to verse uh, 13, he says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Let her pray. And the word affliction there in the original Greek carries the connotation of, of suffering due to no fault of your own. It's just the circumstances, the situation. You're going through a difficult time. But it's not because you did anything wrong. It's because just life is, is bearing down on you and the burdens of life are, are difficult. And, and it, it, you know, that's what the word affliction means there. Then immediately after that, he says in verse 14, is any sick among you? And the first connotation there is, well, it means if you're ill, if, you're, if, you're, if you have cancer or if you have COVID or if you have a broke leg or whatever. But that's, that doesn't fit either. You see, uh, the word sickness there in verse 14, as I see it, and, and, and I did some studying behind this and praying about it, as I see it, it means spiritual sickness due to fault of our own. In other words, you're going through a difficult time spiritually because there is sin in your life. And, uh, you know, and it has to do with your shortcomings. It has to do with falling short of that glory of God. Our own faults causing us to be spiritually sick. And with regard to the, the spiritual sickness, suffering as a result of maybe a sin or something that's just not right with you and God, the passage goes on to say, if any of you are spiritually sick, call for the elders of the church. Not the doctors or the nurses. Call for the elders of the church. And anoint, have them anoint them with oil. Well, the anointing in the, in the New Testament particularly, 99.9% .9 of the time is talking about the anointing of the Spirit of God. It is, a, it is a calling upon the Spirit of God to get involved in the spiritual sickness in someone's life. Prayer is prescribed, not medicine. Forgiveness of sin is the result, not physical healing. So we understand what the, the context here is. Which brings us to verse 16. Told you I'd get back to it. Verse 16, James continuing this idea that, that sometimes we suffer due to no fault of our own. Sometimes we suffer because we are wrong with God. And continuing that context, he says, confess your faults one to another. Isn't it interesting that the very beginning of Paul's letter to Timothy, Paul confesses his faults to Timothy. 
his past faults. But he, he, he brings to Timothy's mind his shortcomings, his wrong living, his sinful living. James here is telling you and me to do the very same thing. The question is why? Why is it important? Why, why should we tell someone else in the congregation, someone else in our family, someone else in, 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 in the broader context of why is it important that I tell someone else how I have missed the mark? Why is it important for me to go to someone and say, I need to talk to you, Chris, and I need to tell you about where I've fallen short? It is important, or James wouldn't have written it. It is important, or the Holy Spirit of God would have not told James to write it. To confess our, our, our shortcomings. You know, we understand confession of our sins and repentance unto God, but, but every once in a while, God wants us to talk to someone else and tell someone else about how we've fallen short. What purpose is served by confessing to someone else that I'm not perfect? The church of Jesus Christ is made up of all kinds of people. Men, women, rich, poor, healthy, ill, golfers, and bowlers. Old people, young people, people with checkered past, people with a lifelong good reputation, people with a good heart and, and good morality and people with integrity and some people that don't fit up to that, you know, uh, the old, the young, they all have one thing in common. Everybody in the, under the sound of my voice this morning, we all have one thing in common. We are all sinners. That's why we need a Savior. And confession of our faults places us, the people in this church, people in my church, the people in our denomination. What it does when I go to someone and say, I, I want to talk to you about where I've fallen short of the glory of God. And tell some person about some fault in my life. And then they tell someone else. And they tell someone else. Eventually somebody gets to Diane and then Diane goes and tells somebody else. Diane, don't you come to me. I know too much about you already. But what happens is, and I'm not talking about going and just bearing some dirty truth and secret of your, of your past. I'm, I'm just talking about where you know that you're falling short, where you know that you are missing the mark. You go and talk to somebody about it. And what happens is when we begin to confess our faults one to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, all of a sudden the whole congregation begins to realize, you know, we're all sinners and we're all on the same playing field, a level playing field. It all brings us down to where we need to be. You can't live up there forever. You've got to realize who you are and what you are and what you need. Confess your faults one to another, or better said, confess with another person the truth that you have missed the mark as a Christian. That's the idea here. A couple of questions here. I love preaching. I've begun to do more and more of it, but I love preaching 
posing questions, but never giving you the answer. I want you to go home and think about this. A couple of questions here. Can you be trusted to hear someone's confession and keep it confidential? Can you be trusted to do that? Maybe we don't confess our faults because there are too few people in the church that we can trust to keep our confidence. But the truth is, as Christians, we should all be worthy of everyone else's trust. Someone else's confession made to you is a powerful thing in the person who is confessing's life. But as I see it, there are three things that we should all do when someone does come to us and says, brother or sister, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you how I feel about this in my life. There are three things that we need to do, and this is just reasonable stuff. First of all, listen to them. Don't interrupt them. Listen intently without being judgmental. Hear them out. Give them time to bear their soul and to empty their heart. Give them the freedom to talk to you without interruption and listen to what they have to say because the more you listen to them, the more you will understand where they are and the more you will understand where you are. And as they, as they confess their fault to you, what's going to happen as you're listening to them is you're going to realize, I have a fault I need to confess to someone too. And it might be to that person, it might be to someone else. Secondly, if they ask for wise counsel, if they look at you and say after they have bore their, their, their soul to you, if they say, what should I do? If you have an opinion, keep it to yourself. <laughs> Just keep your personal opinion to yourself and do what my pastor always did and taught me to do. My pastor would look and say, let's turn in the Word of God and see what God has to say about it. You want to give wise counsel in every situation? Quote Scripture to them. Tell them what God has to say. What Jesus said about it. What Moses said about it. It's in there somewhere. You just have to go and find it. And listen, that's one of the great things about Google today. You can say, Google... Where can I find a scripture about so-and-so? And Google will tell you. Google's a pretty smart fella or lady. <laughs> Sometimes Google's off base too. The third thing that you do when someone comes to you and confesses some fault, some missing of the mark, is pray with them. But don't just pray with them then and there. Not only should you pray with them about it, you say, well, I don't pray audibly. Get to it. Stumble through it if you have to. But look at that brother, look at that sister and say, well, you know, I don't normally pray out loud, but, but if you'll hold my hand and you'll pray for me while I'm praying, I'm going to pray for you. And pray for that person. But don't just pray with them. Continue to pray for them. Make it a continual thing, getting God involved in the situation where, where they've come and talked to you about, about that missing to the mark in their life. You begin to talk to God about it. Don't go and tell everybody else in the church, but you ought to talk to someone else about it. God, talk to God. And get God involved in the situation. Another question, 
know that if someone confesses a fault to you, they are being led of the Spirit to do so because they need spiritual healing. That's what they're looking for. That's what all of us are looking for. Healing that just might be afforded to them through your prayer life. And I will be politically correct here. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. That's what the next thing is. It says, says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. That's spiritual healing as far as I'm concerned. Then he says this, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's a pretty interesting statement. We all know that statement. We can almost quote it. But the idea here is that if we pray an effectual, fervent prayer, that it can accomplish great things. Question, another question. Once again, love questions. Jesus asked a lot of questions. Y'all didn't know that, don't you? A lot of times people had asked Jesus a question, he'd answer with a question. You know why? He was real smart. What is an effectual fervent prayer? Effectual fervent in the original language means energetic. It means passionate. It means strengthened. It means empowered. So so an effectual fervent prayer is a prayer that has power behind it. Passion behind it. Have you ever prayed such a prayer for another person who needs spiritual healing? Most of you in this room would probably answer me by saying, no, I haven't. One of the things that's wrong with our churches. We need to begin to pray passionately for one another. It's important. Specific, intentional, purposed, Powerful prayer for the spiritual well-being of another person in the church. Wow. And who constitutes a righteous person? That mean you've got to be perfect and you've got to be just straight-laced and you've got to be the, the one always walking the straight and narrow path all day long, every day, and you've got to, and you're the one, you think you're the one. In God's eyes, it is a born-again believer who believes in the Son of God. That's a righteous person that has been uh, repentant of their own sins before God, forgiven of their own sins before God, been washed clean in the blood of Jesus Christ, and deemed just by our Heavenly Father due to nothing that they did of their own except going to the Lord and saying, forgive me. The only way you can do that is if God has shown you the guilt of your sinful nature. That person praying fervently for a confessing brother or sister has an an active role in the spiritual well-being of another person in the church. Wow. Probably because someone once prayed for them as they confessed their faults. We are all in the boat together, brothers and sisters. And the boat is not going to go down if we keep doing what God tells us to do. And one of the things He tells us to do is confess our faults and pray one for another. 
But it all hinges on our own forgiveness and the power of our own prayers. Consider the prayer of Elijah in verses 17 and 18. It basically says that Elijah was a man. He was a single person. It basically says, subject to like passions as we are. You know what that that, that means? What James is saying here is that yes, Elijah was a, a marvelous prophet and a great man of God in the Old Testament, that there's much in the Old Testament about him, and he and God were just like this and 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 and, and all that. But but James is saying here, consider Elijah and his prayer. He was just a single man, just a single person, and he was no more uh, uh, exalted in the eyes of God than anybody else. Because God is no respecter of persons. So the first thing James does is he brings Elijah down to our level. Elijah was a prophet, but he was also a sinner. Elijah knew that. But he basically says that Elijah prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again after three and a half years, and it rained. Do you suppose his prayer was effectual, fervent? Do you suppose his prayer was powerful and passionate? Do you suppose that the two prayers that he prayed availed much? I think so. My goodness. He prayed that it wouldn't wouldn't rain in Israel for the space of three and a half years. And you know what happened? It didn't rain on the earth for three and a half years. After that, he prayed again, and it rained again. Pretty powerful prayers. So, he prayed that, that prayer for it not to rain because... There was a problem. Do you know what the problem was? Israel was spiritually sick. The entire nation had turned away from God. The entire nation had turned to idols. The entire nation had quit praying to God, quit worshiping, quit quit sacrificing unto Him. And the whole nation of Israel was spiritually sick. So he prayed... He prayed that that, that this spiritually sick nation would be turned away from the idols and would be turned back to God. And how could it be done? Israel needed to be taught a lesson. His prayer asking for no rain was heard by God and granted by God because that is what Israel needed due to its spiritual sickness, due to its own sin against God. All of a sudden, he's taking this prayer life that we are to have one for another, just, just, just me and one person, and he's expanded it to this man, Elijah, who prayed for the entire nation of Israel and impacted the whole world. And for the space of three and a half years, there was famine in the land, and it took three and a half years of famine to bring sinning Israel to its knees. One man prayed that an entire nation would be taught a lesson and the whole world became God's classroom. And then in verse 18, three and a half years later, listen to what it says. And 
Elias, meaning Elijah. And Elijah prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Sounds kind of simple, doesn't it? Verse 18 does not tell the whole story. If you go back into 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, go back and read the whole story. Because the whole story is not told us on the front end of the famine in verse 17 here in the New Testament or the rear end of, the, of, of, of it in verse 18. At the appropriate time, Elijah prayed that Israel would be blessed again. Three and a half years after experiencing no rain on the earth. Verse 18 says that he prayed again. And the rain came. I want you to know that that's way too simplistic in the New Testament. That's just James throwing it out there so that we would go back and read the actual story. And you go back and read the actual story, you realize that this righteous man, Elijah, prayed an effectual, fervent prayer for the entire nation of Israel, praying for a blessing, praying for rain, and if you go back into 1 Kings chapter 18, you find out that he prayed, and Joey, nothing happened. He prayed one time three and a half years before, and the rain stopped. So he prayed again, and the rain did not come. Hmm. So he prayed again a second time. Nothing. He prayed a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. Anybody want to guess how many times it took? Sure you know how many times it took. It always takes seven, doesn't it? Seven is the number of completion. He prayed that fifth time. He sent a man out says, do you see any rain? He come back and said, no, nope, don't see any rain. He prayed the sixth time. He says, go back out there and look one more time. He went out there and he came back in. He says, Elijah, I'm sorry. There's nothing. He prayed the seventh time that the nation of Israel would be blessed. He had already prayed that it would be cursed, that it would be taught a lesson. Now he's praying for it to be blessed and that there be rain. And after the seventh time, he says, now go out and look. And the servant went out there and looked and he came back and he says, I see a little cloud. It looks like a man's hand. Ooh, what man? It looks like a man's hand out over the sea. Elijah must have thought, a cloud. That's a start. You keep reading in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 and you realize that all of a sudden the whole sky turned black and it began to rain. And Israel was blessed. After the seventh time, Naaman washed seven times in the Jordan River, and it took a little maiden girl to say, he got upset about that. There's better rivers than the Jordan. Seven times. She said, what do you have to lose? Joshua marched around Jericho seven times before the wall fell. Diane may have been on, on a trip that we took over there one time and, and this church was meeting in an old uh, Russian theater, a propaganda theater. 
And they told, the pastor told the story about how they wanted to, the church had saved up some money and they wanted to try to buy the theater to be their church. And, and the government said, uh, we won't sell it to you. So they kept praying about it. And then one day the, the preacher decided, I'm going to take the church down there and we're going to march around that church seven times and pray and see what happens. Shortly thereafter, the government called and said, we don't have any more buyers, we'll sell it to you half price. And they bought it. Seven times. I feel certain that Elijah's first prayer was fervent. His second prayer was believing. His third prayer was trusting. His fourth prayer was earnest. His fifth was determined. His sixth was persistent. And his seventh one, I guarantee you, was a very powerful prayer. One man, Elijah, prayed that an entire nation of people be taught a lesson so that they could be spiritually healed. And it, the rain stopped. Then that same one man prayed that his nation would be blessed again. And the rain started after the spiritual healing. What's my point? Two things here. Number one, if one man prayed for the spiritual healing of an entire nation and God gave him what he prayed for, we should certainly understand that our fervent, our powerful, our trusting, our determined, our persistent, our powerful prayers for one another, for another brother or another sister can make a difference in that brother or sister's spiritual healing. If one man can do that for an entire nation of people, your prayers, your prayers can make a difference in someone else's life. But also, when Israel turned away from God, Elijah prayed for a famine. And after three and a half years of famine, he prayed for a blessing. When I think about what Israel needed and what God did, and how God ultimately blessed. But Israel went through hell for three and a half years. Some of you are farmers. What if I told you today that your irrigation pumps is going to run dry and it's not going to rain for three and a half years? You would look at me and go, uh-oh, we're in trouble. When I think about my nation, my nation needs prayer rendered on its behalf. And yet all of our prayers and all of our singing at baseball games and football games and all of that. <laughs> Years ago, back in 1975, I was graduating from Bryan County High School. And we had a one-year principal that was a, a retired colonel in the Army. And he was... It was his way or no way. He told our class, he said, you will sing this song at your graduation. Because he told us we had to sing, what did we do? We rebelled. And he got upset with us and we got upset with him and we dug our heels in and he dug his heels in and it was a boom, 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 boom. And you know what they did? The class turned on me and says, Kurt, you used to sing in literary, you sing the song for us. And they went to him and says, Kurt's going to sing for us. I didn't even say yes. And I sang at my graduation. Why did I tell you that? 
The song I sang was God Bless America. Maybe what we need is correction in this country before receiving a blessing. Maybe we're singing the wrong song. Maybe we need some type of famine. Maybe things need to get really, really bad. You say, well, preacher, they're already bad. Could get worse. And if it does, will it teach you anything? Will it teach you that you need to pray one for another? Will it teach you that you need to go to your brother and sister and say, I need to talk to you? Will it teach you that you need to pray for this nation that ultimately God would bless it again? I've lived long enough to see it go south. I'm ready for it to go up. I'm ready for it to go up. Maybe we need more prayers like Elijah. Maybe we need more songs about, Lord, straighten us up and cause us to fly right. But let me tell you where that starts. Where the nation starts. <laughs> where prayer for the nation and confession of, of sin by the nation starts. It starts with you talking to your brothers and sisters and saying, will you pray for me? Let's begin there. And God will be blessed. And God will bless us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand before these people and, and preach the Word of God this day. I pray I've done no harm to it. Lord, I pray that as I have spoken, it is truth. And I pray, Lord, that someone will be moved to confess. Someone will be moved to pray. Someone will be moved to sing praises unto your name and sing of the need that we have of a Savior. We're all sinners, Lord. We need Jesus. There is no other. Help us to turn unto Him, to follow Him, to, 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 to profess before others our love for Him, our need for Him, but also to understand how much we should depend upon one another and the powerful prayers that we can render one for another. Help us, Lord, to see the truth in this passage. We pray in Jesus' name, and amen.